This morning, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2. Um, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Um, but before we get into that, like, I want to say like, this is probably what I believe to be one of the greatest stories of all time. Right? It's a story that this magnificent reality that God would come down from heaven to earth to dwell among us as human beings. And it blows my mind that this story is real, this story is true, and this story is good. Um, and before we get into that, I want to talk just a minute about how much I love the season we're entering into. I love Christmas. Growing up, if you would have asked me what my favorite holiday was, I would have easily said Christmas. Um, and one of the reasons that I loved it, uh, I, I still love it so much, is that we had a family tradition. Um, me and my brothers, um, my parents, my grandmother would always load up into a car right before Christmas, um, and we would drive around town to look at the Christmas lights. Um, and there was one area in Columbia, Tennessee, where I grew up, where almost every house uh, had Christmas decorations, right? Uh, you drive house by house after house after house, and every one of them was filled with wonder and joy, um, and it was just an incredible experience, right? We all have those moments uh, in our childhood or growing up, or, or maybe it's even seeing our own children um, experiencing the wonder and the joy of Christmas. Um, and so as we kind of enter into um, just this season and for the next couple of weeks, us talking about the gift and as the Christian world around us stops in this Advent season and prepares themselves for the coming of the King, um, I was praying over this Luke chapter 2 story, um, and I kind of had this question that come up. It was, William, have you already lost the wonder and the joy of this season? On top of that, William, have you lost the wonder and the joy of this Christmas story? Have you lost the wonder and joy of the birth story of Jesus? And I don't think this question was like God trying to get me more passionate about my exterior lights, right? <laughs> I don't think that's what God was trying to do at all. I think it was the Spirit of God helping me see that in the midst of the hustle and bustle of my everyday routine, I've kind of lost the impact. I've lost the wonder. I've lost the joy that the birth story of Jesus brings into existence. I've lost this reality that God really did come from heaven to earth to dwell among us so that we could be a part of the Father's family. And I think over the years, uh, I've kind of gotten just familiar and bored with the Christmas story. There's something about this story that I somehow just like, I tie it to the month of December, right? Like, I don't really ever think about it other than December. <laughs> um, and um, I never really allow this story to be the transform transformational propelling story that it is. Like this week I've been reading it and I'm like, yeah, there's a baby, right? Yeah, there's um, the wise men. Yes, there's the star. Yes, there's shepherds. Yes, there's um, Mary and then there's Joseph, right? There are all these things. Um, but if I'm not careful, I treat the story of Christmas a lot like I treat, it, treat my decorations in our house. I bring it out for a month. I experience the full joy and the wonder of it for a little bit. And then a January rolls around and I put it back where it should be. And I don't ever really allow it to be the transformational story and the transformational thing to propel my life forward. And so my prayer is, as we look at this familiar story in Luke chapter 2, we take a moment to let that childlike wonder 
that we had when we were looking at Christmas lights when we were younger, or that we had when we were opening presents up under the tree, or that we had when we were watching our own children open up presents under the tree. My prayer is that we would take that childlike wonder and allow it to let us see Jesus in brand new ways. And so let's jump in to Luke chapter 2. Let's look real quick at verse 1 through 7. That didn't work. There we go. Okay, awesome. It says this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. I can't read that. Okay, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken from the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quindarius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to be registered. So Joseph went up from a town of Nazareth to Galilee and Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she wrapped him, or, and she gave birth to her, to her firstborn a son and wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room uh, available for them. Now, <laughs> I love this story uh, because it's the most unglamorous moment, right? that the birth of Jesus takes place. It's a super unglamorous moment where um, there was kind of a scandal going on, right? Mary and Joseph, they're not married, yet we know that the story that, the, that God placed a, a child into the womb of Mary and, and she's having this child through an angel of the Lord. And um, it's an unglamorous moment to people who are on the outside looking in because Mary and Joseph, they're not married yet. There, this is a scandalous thing in the day of Israel, and it was a, not only a, a shameful thing for Mary, but it was also a shameful thing for, for Joseph, who is still there. Um, and it was also a moment where they're having to have this birth in a manger. Like, this is something like a barn. It's where you keep your animals. This is unglamorous, right? This is not, um, if, you, if you, mothers out there, if this is like your scenario, you're probably not going to be happy with this, Right? It's not a great moment, but yet this is where God chooses to be in existence here on earth. Let's jump down to verse 8. That was the laser. All right, here we go. Uh, Verse 8, it says this. Nearby, there were shepherds living out in the field, um, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in a town of David, town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has just told us about. There we go. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph with the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they had spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds has told them. 
And as we kind of look at this passage, I want to ask this question, and then we'll jump into um, the rest of the conversation. But I want to ask this question is, how do we create space in our lives where the gift of joy and the gift of wonder can transform us and propel us into everyday life being driven by this story? This message that Emmanuel, God, is with us. You see, I'm convinced that when we receive this message from the story that Emmanuel, God, is with us, it'll leave us hungry for holiness. It'll leave us hungry for community. It'll leave us hungry for the mission of God. And I I want us to think of the way this story unfolds because it's a larger-than-life, beautiful, game-changing story, right? Uh, I love the way the story begins in verses 8 through 18. It begins with this cosmic birth announcements, the moments where the space between heaven and earth is simply diminished. Like, the heavens are torn open and thousands of angels show up and they're, they're like, he's here, right? The Savior, the one you've been waiting for is here. It's this amazing moment in the story. Like, the one you've been waiting for, the Savior of all mankind, has arrived on the scene. I don't know how you picture the angels um, pro- proclaiming this in Luke chapter 2, um, but so often I, I make this story so two-dimensional. So often I, I make this story so black and white and so boring, and I picture these angels dressed in these white robes, and they're with halos and wings. It's probably because I was one in a, in a Christmas play growing up. Um, with these, white, with these wings and the trumpets, and, and they show up, and they're very formal. They're very religious. And they stand there in the very um, stern voice. They say, glory to God in the highest heavens. Peace and great news for those of you on earth. And I'm like, as I'm reading this story, I'm like, that's not how it goes. It's not a boring story. It's not a boring story because these angels, they're excited. They're excited. Why are they excited? They're excited because... You see, this wasn't just earth waiting for a savior. The heavens are ripped open, and it's the heavens also waiting to declare the coming of a savior. It's not just about earth waiting for a savior. It's also about heaven waiting to declare that the savior has come, and it is a great moment for all the people. And I love the way the shepherd responds in verse 15. Like, hey, maybe we should go check that out. It's a crazy moment, right? It's kind of epic. And I don't know how you imagine the shepherds growing up. Uh, I don't know how you imagine the shepherds in this story. Uh, But if you're like me, growing up in church place, um, you probably imagine these shepherds as these cute, cuddly, little, clean-cut boys um, holding their shepherd staff with this um, tunic on. And they look very nice, look very friendly. Um, They're pretty awesome people. Um, I was also one of them the next year. Um, Like, these shepherds... I've always pictured them as these pretty clean-cut guys. Um, but as I kind of got to re- do some research into what a shepherd, shepherd's role was, like these guys are some pretty rough-neck, crazy dudes. Like the job of a shepherd is to simply be out in the field tending to, and you're by yourself, tending to your sheep at night, in the daytime, keeping bandits away, keeping wild animals away, and you are literally the sole protector of hundreds of sheep. I don't think that's a job I want to do. I don't want to be outside all the time. I don't want to have to keep away bandits. I don't want to have to keep away um, wild animals. In fact, like if a wild animal is coming at me, I'm probably going to run as fast as I can to get away from it. Let's put as many sheep in the path I can, right? Like <laughs> that, that is what I'm going to do, right? These, this is a roughneck, crazy job. Uh, and yet, 
God comes to these guys with a larger-than-life birth announcement and says, I want you to go find the Savior. My whole life, I've never really pictured what it would look like. I think I, I got the story of the shepherds and the story of the wise men is a little bit confused. Like The story of the wise men, they had this star where they could follow the star and it led them right to Jesus, but we don't see that here in this story in Luke chapter 2. The shepherds, they didn't have the story of the star. And so God just says, hey, there's been a baby that's been born in the town of Bethlehem. Go and find him. <laughs> right? Can you imagine like opening your door around midnight and these shepherds are just right at your doorstep and saying, hey, is there a baby here? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I would probably call the cops, right? Like this is a crazy story where these shepherds are going around Bethlehem looking for, looking for this baby. And yet here is what I love. Here's more joy, more wonder. They find him, right? They find the Jesus, and that is the promise that is for you, and it's the promise of Scripture, that's the promise for me, is that whoever seeks will find. Whoever knocks, the door will be open. And all of us are invited into this journey that the shepherds have to go off, and sometimes the journey might feel a little bit longer than what we want it to be. Can you imagine, just for a moment, what it might have been like for the shepherds to lay their hands on the one who laid them into existence. You know that's got to mess with their heads, right? Like these shepherds are laying their hands on, the, on holding this baby on the one that laid them into existence. Could you imagine what it would have been like to hold him for the first time? I think it's pretty neat. Like these shepherds, they're not really clean people. They don't have an opportunity to go and shower and, and take care. And I mean, they're living out in the field. They're, they're sleeping on the dirt. They're with their sheep all the time. They're not necessarily clean people. And these are the people that God chooses to reveal himself to first. And isn't that the scandal of the gospel that it's not just God coming to earth. It's God coming to earth in total vulnerability, knowing that our filth and our dirtiness would never rub off on his holiness. That God entrusted the unholy hands of the shepherds to be the first ones to hold him. What a picture. And guys, as I, I, I continued looking into the story this week, I realized um, that what the, what the shepherds experienced was simply only seasonal. And I say that because 30 years later, you don't see the shepherds coming back and saying, we've been waiting for this guy for 30 years. In fact, when Jesus comes onto the scene later in life, you find people saying, who is this guy? This guy from Nazareth? What good comes from Nazareth? So what the shepherds experience is simply only seasonal. Can you relate to that at all? Have you ever been fired up about things of God in December and yet another January rolls around? And it's back to the way of life. See, the shepherds' experiences was only seasonal because at some point in time, they went back to the fields, back to their jobs, and the wonder and the joy that they've experienced began to fade. I love this, what comes next, because they don't just leave us with the story of shepherd. Mary does something a little bit different here in verse 19. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You see, in the midst of the, the hoopla and the chaos that was going around, Mary, she does something different. 
In 2004, um, Robert, uh, I've always struggled to say his last name, Robert Zemex had an idea to write a book, by, or to take a book written by Chris Van Allsburg in 1985 and turn it into a movie. And that book and that movie was called The Polar Express. It tells the story of a young boy who has a decision on his hands of whether or not he was going to continue believing in the wonder that he has had with the Christmas season from his, throughout his childhood. And on Christmas Eve, a mysterious train bound for the North Pole, I probably should put that up, bound for the North Pole, uh, stops outside of his house. And the boy is invited on by the conductor. And after losing one of the um, other passengers' tickets, the boy has to wrestle with the belief and disbelief of, and the wonder represented by the stowaway character in the story. You see, this doubting boy, he embarks on a journey of self-discovery, doubt, disbelief, and belief that will show that the wonder of life, the sound of the bells, they'll never fade for those who truly believe. One of my favorite moments in the movie was at the end where the boy, he's made his new friends and they've made it to the North Pole and they're watching all the wonder, the elves, the reindeer, the presents, the lights. Um, and the friends just kept saying, can you hear the bells on the reindeers? Don't they just sound beautiful? And you see, as hard as the boy tried to listen to the bells, he could never hear it ring. And he would tune in, he would look at them, he would focus in, he'd hear them shaking and he would never hear the bell ring until he was faced with the moment where one of the census reindeer's bells uh, fell off and it found its way right to his feet. He picked it up. He looked at it. He gave it a shook. No sound. And then he said, okay, I truly believe. I believe. He's faced with this moment where he's got to decide, is he really going to participate and the wonder and the joy set before him. And he says that he believes, and he gives the bell a ring, and he hears the sweet sound of the bell. And it's this beautiful moment, right, where for the first time, he's able to hear what the bells sound like. And it's, beautiful, this, it's just a beautiful moment where the boy returns home, and he says this, at one time, most of my friends... Maybe we can relate to this. At one time, most of my friends could hear the bell. But as years went on, it fell silent for all of them. Even Sarah, his sister, found one Christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound. You see, though I've grown old, the bell still rings true for me. What a beautiful comparison to what it looks like to follow Jesus, Right? And I don't know if this was planned or on purpose, but as I continue to look further into the movie, because I've always loved the Polar Express, I look further and I realize that um, the actor Tom Hanks, who stars in the movie, not only plays the voice of the conductor, he plays the voice of the boy, and he also plays the voice of the stowaway. And he sits there, and it's almost as if the boy, his life path is laid out in front of him. You see, if he chooses to live into the wonder, he might follow the path of the conductor, whose life is full of joy, full of wonder, full of peace, full of love, full of purpose, full of a life where he continues to lead others on to participating in the life of wonder. And if he chooses not to live into the wonder, 
It's a life that he's always searching for more. He's never satisfied. He's honestly pursuing life with one idea in mind, that he is the king. That nobody gets to decide for him what life looks like. And it leads to a life of loneliness, a life of no friends, a life of no love, a life of no purpose. One where he's always searching for what could be more on this train. You see, for some of us, um, as I was thinking about Luke chapter 2, um, for some of us, it's, it's not necessarily um, about do you believe the story, right? Because this is a story we're familiar with. We wouldn't be here, or maybe some of us, we still do struggle with the belief, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But for some of us, like, we believe in the story of Jesus, Right? It's one we've grown up on. It's one we know. It's one we're familiar with. The this, this question is not, do you still believe in the story? The question is, st- do you still believe in the wonder of the story? Do you still believe in the wonder that Jesus and God would show up today and do big things here on earth? Because I fully believe that for us, we have, God has these huge things planned for us. Right? Not only as, as a church, but also as individual, God has huge things in store for us. But if, it won't happen unless we choose to participate in the wonder. When was the last time that the wonder in the story has impacted us into the deepest places of our heart? If you look back to Luke chapter 2, Mary did something different. She treasured it up into, into the deepest place of her heart. And Mary, is, as she realizes that this train in front of her was bound for greatness. And she had to treasure these up, participate in the wonder, so she could be around to see where it was going. Mary continues to find herself over and over in the story of Jesus because she treasures it up, lives in the wonder. She slows down, and she realizes that this moment here with Jesus, this moment here with the shepherds, is a glorious moment full of wonder, full of joy, and she does something different than the shepherds. When was the last time that the wonder of the story has impacted us into the deepest place of our hearts? When was the last time you thought about the wonder, this wonder, this reality that God came to earth and he would be held as a baby by our dirty hands so that his holiness can cleanse our filthiness? So back to the earlier question. How do we create space in our life where the gift of joy and wonder can transform us and propel us into everyday life being driven by this story? And if you find this story even difficult to believe in, here's three simple things that I want to leave you with and then we'll head out of here. Number one, embrace the gift. Thank you. I set that down. You're on it. (laughs) Embrace the gift. We talked about what this looks like in, in in verse 19, how Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. She was soaking it in. Now, I want you to understand this is how gifts work. The gift is always reflections of the giver, not the receiver, right? Gifts are always reflections of the giver, not the receiver. And so in order for us to enjoy the gift of wonder, the gift of joy, we have to open the gift and soak it in. Number two is slow down, <laughs> Uh, this morning is Josh, he came up to me and said, hey, is this good for communion? Um, the first thing I notice is he reminds himself to breathe. Man, how often do I remind, need a reminder to slow down, to breathe? You see, I believe God has something big for us in our life. And if we never rearrange our life 
to experience the wonder and the intentionality of God, we're going to miss those amazing things. And for, for you and for me, for some of us, it means completely rearranging your schedule, slowing down, participating in the wonder, participating in the joy that is set before you. And number three is take the story all the way in. You're never going to experience the true wonder and joy of the story that transforms and propels us if we don't stop what we're doing to dwell on what we've experienced with God and the wonder that we've seen. So stop. Breathe. Take a moment to look around you. See what God is doing in the world. See what God is doing in your family. See what God is doing um, in your children. See what God is doing in your workforce. God is at work. If we never take a moment to take the story all the way in, to stop and take the story all the way in, the wonder and the joy of what God is doing is ever, only ever going to be seasonal. And we'll treat it like our decorations. We'll take it out for a little bit, experience it a little bit, but when life comes back into reality, we put it back up and we don't touch it again. <clears throat> you see, the joy in the Polar Express, um, the joy in the Luke chapter 2, the joy and the wonder in both of these stories are found in the participation. The joy of wonder, the joy of, of, of the, the gift of wonder, the gift of joy is only found in the participation of the gift. And before we can participate in the gift, we have to slow down and listen. And so like the Polar Express, do we listen to the wonder? Do we listen to what God is doing in our life? Do we listen to the bell ring? If we can do anything for you this morning, if we can help you, maybe it's a time that you haven't been able to listen to the ring, the bell ring for a really long time. Maybe it's Man, there's so much wonder that I feel like I've missed out on, and you need help rediscovering what wonder it looks like in the kingdom of God. Um, please come while Blake leads us in worship, and um, we'd be glad to help you.